button. Conversation set free. Red button. Ah, uh, hello there, Bill, Ian, Mike, Bob. Uh, back in Britain, I'm out here in Jogjakarta, and the plan was that I'd be going out to see uh, a band play in a cafe in the uh, Prawirotaman Road area, and I would give you a blow-by-blow account of a night out watching a, watching live music here in the city of Jogjakarta in Java. But we've got off to a little bit of a dodgy start. It's raining absolute cats and dogs. This is your actual monsoon rain. And uh, it's God's own job to get a taxi when it's raining like this. But uh, to make matters worse, there must have been some lightning hit some electricity box somewhere because uh, we've got a power cut here and it appears to be the entire neighborhood it's um, i'm out here on the terrace it's absolutely pitch black and uh, and dark inside the house and I, I can't ring for a taxi even if i could get one because i don't uh, have any credits in my phone and i uh, the wi-fi is down so i can't get online to send myself some credits with my ovo account uh so all the technology lets you down really basically when the power goes off so um uh, obviously going to be running a little bit late, but I, I do intend to be quite intrepid about this and I will be getting back to you later with, uh, with my report on a, a night out. I believe it fits in with your theme tonight back in Rivenhoe. Uh, Red Button is about uh, going out to see live music, so I promise I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But at the moment, I'm a little bit stranded in my own dark house. Uh, by this monsoon rain. Anyway, that's me signing off from Jogja for the time being. Okay, let's have some conversation, please. Thank you. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. This week's guest on Red Button is Bob May. Is it Bob May, the professional golfer? No. Is it Bob May, the American actor? No. Is it Bob May, the Chinese online retail platform genius? No. Tonight's guest is someone from Colchester called Bob May. So, welcome everybody to Box 39, follow-up sister show, Red Button. And uh, as the jingle said, we have with us uh, fantastic Bob May, once more in the studio, old friend of the show. Hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. Good evening. There you are. Coming across loud and clear. Uh, we just had a little shift of personnel up here in the fourth floor of Colm Radio Towers. It's been a very crowded studio. We finally got our gang exit back, and uh, and now they've all had to leave. So, Bob, you're very, very welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you've been here to talk about many things, but we've asked you here tonight to talk about one thing, and we've asked you to, to really talk about the Colchester music scene, because, you know, compared to uh, anyone else that does this show, you're more of a veteran of Colchester than we are. I think we all arrived uh, long into our adult years whilst you've been here. Man and boy, haven't you, Bob? Yes, I certainly have. So so what we want to do, really, is uh, let's start maybe... Um, let's, what can we talk about? Talking about right back into the 1970s, maybe before that, the end of the 1960s. What was going on then, Bob? Well, in August 1969, the legendary American music festival Woodstock took place on a dairy farm not far from New York. Well, is that near Colchester, New York? Uh, no, New York, New York. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, how does that connect with Colchester then? Because uh, uh, that, well, what, does that connect with anything in England at all? Well, at that a, time? a little closer to home than America. It's fair to say that Woodstock was the inspiration for Michael Evis to organise a similar outdoor in festival in England the following summer, 1970. And that's one that has endured for the past 50 years. Glastonbury. Ah, you have been, Bob? 
No, I haven't. I've been past the legendary hill. <laughs> yeah. I've sat on the hill, actually. Uh, not when the festival was going on. I have to say, I went there uh, in, the, in the summer, well, way after the festival, many years ago, maybe 40 years ago, and camped on a campsite. And uh, one of the wonderful campsite where the farmer brought you homemade scrumpy to, oh, after your tea. How delicious. It was. Very nice. So, okay, so we've, we've talked about it's all going on at Woodstock. It's transferred itself to Glastonbury. Yep. So... How so, does that then connect to Essex? Well, if it was fair to say that Woodstock inspired Glastonbury, it's also fair to say that in Essex, a group of men got much more than they'd anticipated when those concerts gave them an idea. In 1971, members of the Clacton Round Table decided <laughs> to stage a rock festival to raise money for charity. Really? The Clacton Round Table? The Clacton Round Table. It was a change from their donkey derbies and whist drives. Wow, someone in that in someone in that group uh, must have been uh, slightly left field, and he, he he said have a concert. So they had this idea. So so what happened then? Well, it was originally planned by them as a local festival for local bands with up to a few thousand spectators. Yeah. And, and uh, is that what it was like? Just well, f- as it unfolded, it became a vast event on a cornfield in the quiet village of Wheelie. Yeah. Tra- Wheelie's tiny. Wheelie is tiny. But yeah. this festival attracted 150,000 music fans. Goodness That's amazing. amazing. Were, Some- you, were you there, Bob? I wasn't there. My best friend Steve was there. Uh, he was already at work and uh, had more free capital than I did. <laughs> yeah. So did he tell you what were some of the bands that played there? Well, then? there were big names in rock at the time, names that still exist in music today. T-Rex, uh, Rod Stewart yeah. and the Faces, yeah. Status Quo, Lindisfarne, Mott the Hoople, and Mungo Jerry, who just had a number one hit within the summertime. That's well, an incredible that... lineup, I and mean, not many people would know that. That's just quite up the road. Yeah. Yeah, it was a two-day festival. Uh, it attracted national headlines. I bet it did. Partly because uh, the Hells Angels tried to take uh. over the security. So uh, <laughs> on a bank holiday weekend, it, it got a little bit exciting. So, the, yeah, and, and some of those uh, people you mentioned there are no longer with us. Uh, T-Rex obviously were... Um, uh, Mark Boland probably died. Uh, when did he pass away? Seventy-seven. Yeah. In a, uh, okay. Tragically, in a car accident. Yeah. Rod Stewart's still with us. In fact, I believe he's now called Sir Rod Stewart, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, status quo. Unfortunately, I think we've lost one of those. To at least one. Yeah. Lindisfarne. I don't know anything about Lindisfarne. They were from Newcastle. Okay, um, so they were a bit lost then. <laughs> <laughs> it's come a long way. Hasn't this it? Is, welcome to Wheelie. <laughs> and and, and uh, your friend, did you say his name was Steve? Steve yeah. it, uh, did he say anything else about it? He, one abiding thing I remember is that the toilets were virtually non existent. It was uh, an open trench, as far as I recall, which probably well, wasn't set too the, bad. Set on the, the pattern, though, didn't it, morning. for the next 40 years of uh, <laughs> festivals, uh, really? Is that why it's called Wheelie? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was what was going on here, really, I suppose. Uh, uh, at the at the time when you were just about to start looking at, at going to see music yourself, um, but I mean, could you? That's live music. Were you able to buy records in those days from anywhere in Colchester? Uh, yes. Again, I was just. I think I just got a, a record player and was buying singles. Uh, Steve was already buying albums, so a lot of my musical um, inspiration then and influence was stuff he had we used to cram into his 10 by 8 bedroom and listen to stuff by family um oh gosh i've got to struggle to think who they were now put you on the spot they were even even before t-rex the t-rex were called tyrannosaurus rex they had a couple of albums under that name can you remember the first record you bought uh i think it was actually joe brown and the album was called a picture of you and Joe Brown's still going. He is, yes. After all these yeah. years. First band I, record I ever bought was called, um, it was uh, the, Osborne. What's his name? Ozzy Osborne. Yeah. And it was Black Sabbath. Was it Black Sabbath? Yeah. Yes. By Black yeah. Sabbath. Yeah. And he's got a single out this month. Well, there's a synchronicity and uh, whatever else there. There's a connection, isn't it? It all connects, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The old ones keep rocking on. So there we are. When the, and so Colchester then suddenly thrown into the sort of uh, the, the, the the limelight of national music. Quite incredible. It certainly was. Yeah, well, unrepeated. No. And and was it ever filmed? Was there any bits ever 
sort of appeared on YouTube or any I've, of these channels? I've never looked. The following year, there was a, a similar but smaller concert on the Middlewick Army Rangers, um, but then that seemed to fizzle out as well. So those organisers uh, of uh, back in the day, so far-sighted to organise a festival, but so nearsighted not to take a camera with them and film the event. Yeah, yeah. There what are, a shame. There, there are still photos on the internet, but uh, I, I haven't seen any film. Well, what we like to do, Bob, is uh, that when you arrive, uh, we asked you for your some favourite bits of music or bits of music that you'd like us to play tonight. Uh, so tell us about your first choice, please, yeah, Bob. Yeah, the track is called They Don't Know by Tracy Ullman. It's a 1980s release from her. The song was written by Kirsty McCall, and I've always loved her musical talent. I'm also a sucker for a romantic tale, especially one where love triumphs over adversity. And this song hits all the right buttons. Take the third exit. Well, I'm in a taxi, and uh, the rain stopped eventually, and uh, the power came back on, and I managed to to get online and order a taxi using uh, Obo credits. Um, there was a bit of a confusion with the taxi driver about the the location we were heading for. Uh, he assured me he knew better, and we basically went off. I tailed it off in absolutely the wrong direction there for, for about 20 minutes, but we're back on course now. Get ready uh, to turn left. Bit worried. Uh, apparently th- th- there's quite heavy traffic down in the Prairie-Rotaman Road area, but uh, anyway, quite an exciting prospect. Uh, this band has this exchange student from, from Canada, apparently a real whiz kid on the guitar. Turn left and then go straight. 
and he's got his YouTube clips online and and it's not a typical covers band which is what you normally get here when you go out to a cafe to, to see live music it's normally top hundred covers or maybe genre or, or sometimes kind of tribute bands like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones but apparently this guy can really play the guitar so I'm really looking forward to this um, and uh, my taxi driver here uh, doesn't speak a word of English but of course it's not a problem I'm well able to, to chat to him in the Indonesian language get ready to turn right and uh, anyway uh, obviously going to be a bit late maybe won't get to see the first set hopefully we'll get there to see the second set so uh, this is me signing off once again from Jogja I'll be back later to give you my blow-by-blow blow account of a night out watching live music here in Indonesia go straight on Now, are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. You're listening to Colm Radio here on 106.6 FM. And this is Red Button with tonight's special guest, Bob May. Yes, you really are listening to us here on 106.6 FM, Comrade. This is Red Button. I'm Bill Lawrence, and in the studio tonight, we've got Bob May, a great guest, been here many times before, great uh, listener to the show and a great supporter of the show, and most of all, uh, a musicologist, I would say, someone who's always got an interesting thing to say about music. Uh, I've been to see music with him around Colchester, and, you know, he's a, he's a person who's musically minded, I would say. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us, Bob. And uh, in the last little chat, we sort of started off our story of music in Colchester in Wheelie, didn't we? Uh, with the music festival there. So let's see if we can progress a little a little way, because the early 70s really did see an explosion of, uh, of live music, certainly where I was living. And I guess it was the same here in Colchester, was it? It, it certainly was, yes. Uh, student unions had become adept at, at attracting acts to appear at the universities or colleges just before those acts broke through into the big time or they were touring to promote their debut albums. Yeah, I think uh, student, uh, student unions across the country really played an important part in this, didn't they? Mu- maybe much more than today. I think listeners, any listeners that are students today or visiting students' union won't be quite aware of the power of the student unions. Um, that were. I was living... Uh, in a place called Brentwood, which is maybe uh, 45 minutes drive at least from... And I used to come up to the Student Union in Colchester to watch bands, although I, I didn't even really know what a university was in those days. You know, it, it, had a real, it was part of the music scene, wasn't it, Student Union? So, so who did you see there then? So it certainly was. Uh, well, the, the university hosted gigs by bands that included Genesis, The Kinks, Pink Floyd, Roxy Music, and my sister's highlight of that period, Iggy Pop. Yeah. I saw Electric Light Orchestra at North East Essex Technical College, which is now the Institute. They're, they're big names, aren't they? They're, I mean, this is a, a ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, is still going, I believe. Again, yeah, Jeff Lynn has got a record out this year. <laughs> has he really? And uh, Genesis, well, they... They uh, maybe their bubble burst a little bit. I mean, poor old Phil Collins is not very well, is he now? But um, Genesis was a bit of a sort of Marmite band, wasn't it? You loved or hated them? I they think. were. Yeah, I didn't like them at the time, but I do appreciate them now. Can you? Can uh, they were? Uh, but a lot of these bands weren't. It wasn't just the sound either, was it? The nineteen seventies was about the look as well, wasn't it? I was going to say with the 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 music festivals were key in signalling the change from. Bands in the 60s wearing suits and ties, looking very, very smart. Um, and the hippie era, of course, took it into extremely casual long hair, beards, yeah, well, wild clothing. I mean, this, this links very much with uh, the other person who's in our studio, keeping rather quiet at the moment, Mike. Because uh, in the 1970s this time, you, you were sort of hanging out in San Francisco, weren't you, Mike? Well, uh, that was um, actually in the 60s. Um, but uh, I was back in England in the 70s, but um, I can't say that I was a great one to uh, go to live shows at that time. 
But then while you're in San Francisco, I mean, music must have been part of the way of life, wasn't it? Even if you weren't going specifically to see bands, it was, it was pretty much there, wasn't it, the music? Yeah. Well, oh, so uh, we're led to believe, yeah. I was um, actually a, a fan of um, modern jazz. Uh, this came out of my uh, early uh, experiences of growing up um, in the 50s with uh, songs like How much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> woof, woof. The one with the ragged detail. Woof, woof. <laughs> so I moved on to... Uh, Thank goodness a, you moved on, Mike. Yeah, In a Shady Nook by a Babbling Brook by Donald Pierce. I fell in love with you and um, had big arguments about my um, with my sister because she said I'm always wearing out her needles on the HMB machine uh, where she wanted to play classical music. But the point about San Francisco was there I was. And um, there was uh, Stan Kenton's big band concert in 72. Uh, he was also at the Albert Hall in 56. Um, Count Basie, I mean, I was uh, I was seeing bands that uh, I'd only seen on the back of record covers. So, it was uh, very experimental in those days, wasn't it? Absolutely. And then uh, the subtlety of the Dave Brubeck uh, quartet that um, I went to see at the Black Hawk uh, nightclub in San Francisco. And... Um, uh, I was uh, with my um, uh, partner at the time, who was only 19, and we had we couldn't have a drink uh, uh, because you had to be 21 to have a drink in uh, in San Francisco. So we went round the non-alcoholic side. I had to have a Coke and saw the wonderful Dave Brubeck through a kind of grill, but it was still a fantastic experience. Yeah. Well, well, Mike's then, if we can picture Mike's there in San Francisco, he's on his, he's drinking, he's, he's hardcore drinking Cokes whilst watching uh, these uh, amazing jazz bands. But, oh. but then Bob, we all, uh, where, what, what, what were you going to see locally? What, what was the, a venue here for you? Well, my favourite venue was Woods on Sunday, which was held at the social club of a major local manufacturer of fans, still based in Colchester, now called Flacked Woods. And fans was quite apt, really. What was that like as a venue? It was a very big um, lounge area with a stage yeah. at one end. Really, I can't think of a hall comparable that, that's as big in Colchester. Loud music? Uh, yeah, decent music. There was a members bar at the front as you went in from the car park and bowling green. And then through a pair of double doors when you paid your money. And into this just big, big rectangular space that probably oh. held a thousand people. A big venue then. So what sort of bands were you seeing there then? Well, these days I look back in amazement at the list of soon-to-be stars who'd appeared at Woods between 1972 and 74. The Sweet, Alvin Stardust, Susie Quattro, The Glitter Band, The Bay City Rollers, Golden Earring from uh, Holland, yeah. Chairman of the Board, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Leo Sayer, Queen. Really? Queen? Yes, really, Queen. Wow. They didn't they... achieve success until their second album. So that's, I mean, that is quite a litany, again, of uh, very successful bands at the time. They were commercially very successful, and you can understand they were probably uh, had clever management that were putting them on a, on this tour, uh, of which, I mean, a venue of a 1,000 people in Colchester is going to bring in a healthy amount of money for their managers. And I think at the time, they uh, bands like the Bay City Rollers were marketed for youngster for, for sort of young teens weren't yes, they? Yes, they were. Um, and very cleverly marketed, and uh, and they were appearing on the television as well. Uh, the Glitter Band, well, it's very difficult to talk about them. Perhaps we shouldn't. But it's Alvin Stardust again, tar- marketed to quite young children. And I don't know if we get that marketing now, but at that time between, you can actually go and watch them locally. You can download their latest track and you can see them on YouTube maybe yeah. there's some sort of parallel but possibly it... but a lot of these bands back then had been Alvin Stardust was in his third iteration under different names <laughs> he'd been Shane Fenton and somebody else the Bay City Rollers had been around for 10 years it was almost as if they were picked up and rebadged whereas now I think bands just get dropped but and I think someone new comes along. But those bands like the Basis Rolls had absolutely no ownership of the music that they made, no. the uh, concerts they played, the clothes that they wore, the appearing in comic magazines and the rest of it. They had no say in that at all, no. did they? And they were lucky to get 10% of what they earned, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, although there's a few in there like Queen who bucked the system. Indeed. And they, I know, insisted on 
sort of different management and they had uh, the same manager as Elton John, didn't they, who was a very forceful man in yes, the music business yes. and they broke the mould and their success came from, I'm afraid, probably not from Colchester, but they, they toured America and they broke America, didn't they? That's right. Which was made all the difference. Yeah. Now, there was a local band, wasn't there, uh, who most of our listeners will know. Tell me about that local band at well, the time. Well, yes, they became, in the UK certainly, as famous as Queen, uh, and they were my favourite, the, the who band was that? called Cockney Rebel. Yes. They first performed at Woods in the winter of 73, at that time still largely unknown. But within three months of appearing, they had a top ten single, Judy Teen. Right. Uh, um, why did you like them, then? Well, that night, I was at Woods on Sunday, and I was just memorised by, mesmerised by their fashion, their music and lyrics, and the unique delivery of their singer, Steve Harley. Yeah, he was a local boy, wasn't he? He was a local boy. He, I think he was born in Deptford, but he came to Colchester and worked on the Evening Gazette and the Essex County Standard as a reporter. So I think this links in rather nicely with your second piece of music, Bob. It, it does. Um, the day after I went to Woods and saw Cockney Rebel, I went into Colchester and into Man's Music Shop. I asked to listen to their album, stood in the soundproof booth and listened to the opening bars, guitar, then violin, then bass, drums and keyboards, before the vocal begins. Within 30 seconds, I was back at the counter saying, I'll buy that.
when possible. Make a U-turn. Hello there. Well, as you might be able to tell, I'm still in the taxi. We are stuck in a traffic jam and have been for the last 20 minutes. So everything is uh, everything's going a bit pear-shaped tonight. I'm when supposed possible, to be giving you this, as I say, this blow-by-blow -blow account of a, of a night out in Jogja watching live music in a cafe. And here I am stuck in a traffic jam in a taxi. Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, but to be quite honest, I'm a little bit peeved because my taxi driver has got his sat-nav set to English. Uh, American English female voice on his sat-nav. And as we turned into this road, the sat-nav sat actually when said possible, in English... Uh, it said, uh, don't, don't take this route turn around and go back to the road that you turned in off and then head east for a thousand meters and I, and, I, and I thought he you know the guy sitting there and he just ignored it and I said what, what, what are you doing it's told you to turn back and of course it was too late we'd already got locked into to this stationary queue of cars and he said, oh, I, I, he said, I didn't understand it. He said, he only puts it in English mode because he's trying to learn English from his sat-nav voice. Make a U-turn. So, I don't know, uh, going to be so late. Never mind, stiff upper lip. This is me signing off once again from Jogja. I'll hand back to you in Wivenhoe at Cone Radio, and I'll be back with my reportage on a night out watching live music in Jogjakarta a little bit later. When possible, make a U-turn. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. You're listening to Red Button, live on Colne Radio, 106.6 FM. Tonight, later evening conversation and music with special guest, Bob May. Yes, indeed. Later evening conversation here on Red Button uh, with Bob May, a wonderful guest. And we've been talking to Bob about the music scene uh, that he knew as he grew up here in northeast Essex. And we sort of progressed from the first old hippie festival at Wheelie, and then we talked about uh, some of the bands that were coming in on the, the, the sort of national tours in the 1970s. Yeah, uh, Bob, you've talked about um, uh, stars that were musical stars that were nationally known. Um, are there any of a local note? And um, in those... In the 1970s, you were a schoolboy. Um, did the music scene in Colchester give you some relief from homework, for example? It, it did, yes. I, I mean, as I've said before, I didn't have very much money, so uh, I, would, I would go to youth clubs at Lexton and Stanway School. Lexton Youth Club was in the church hall. And, or, as I got slightly older, 16, 15, 16, went to the youth house in West Stockwell Street. Uh -huh. What was that, like a youth club? Was it? it was a non-area-specific um, non youth club, yeah, oh, so okay. anyone could okay. come, not just the people of that parish. Uh-huh, and what about the, uh, you mentioned the Lexham Youth Club, anybody uh, of, uh, of uh, fame, later fame, did anybody appear there that you saw? Well, yeah, a band that became very popular and, and a legendary within the area called Plod, also known as the Mighty Plod. <laughs> tell oh. us about that. You can't just leave it there. Come oh, on, Bob. You got, tell oh, us about okay. Plod. I, I went speechless because I'd never heard of Plod, but I'm glad I have now. I don't know where they got the name. <laughs> but uh, in late 72, they were a Colchester glam rock band with personality of big groups like T-Rex. They wore glitter, makeup, wild hair, platform boots and outrageous outfits. And their act ranged from cover songs of glam pop hits by Slade, The Sweet and so on, through to rock and roll numbers and a few compositions of their own. Uh -huh. They'd been uh, formed by Colchester-born Steve Greenfield and their debut gig was at Lexton Youth Club. Oh, right. And uh, 
I've heard something about Steve Greenfield. Anything about him? He's still making music. He lives in West Mersey now and uh, went into country music under the name Steve Travis. Yeah. And more recently, he's moved on to sea shanties, which he's very fond of. Oh, okay. Uh, If we come down the coast, I think there's um, uh, a well-known singer-musician in Wivenhoe. There is indeed, yes. Plod Plod were formed and fronted by Steve, but uh, a year after their first... Um, debut gig and, and bookings throughout the eastern counties, he quit suddenly and was replaced by Wivenow's Martin Newell. Ah. And Colm Radio's own Martin Newell as well. It's a show on a Friday morning. Yeah, that's right. What happened after that? Well, the band went from strength to strength. Um, they, they gained gigs across the country. They're, and by early 75, their talent and fame had earned them a recording contract. Uh-huh. with promises of an album and a two-month European tour. Oh, wow. And uh, after that, I mean, just to finish off that period... Well, we... sadly, neither the tour or the album happened and with some other uh, associated factors led to their breakup in the summer of 75. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's um, taking me back to... Uh, uh, I, I kind of missed out on um, some of the key music uh, developments in yeah. the seventies, but um, well, there were. But you, you, well, one thing I, I know that Mike, you, you, you did uh, get involved with. Yeah. was a bit of blur, wasn't it? Yeah, I was um, ahead of uh, a lot of people's time in terms of. Um, I worked in the Colchester Art School at uh, at uh, the Institute, and um, I met uh, Damon Albarn. Um, before he became famous, because uh, his father, Keith, was the head of the art school. And one memorable occasion uh, was uh, when Damon uh, was developing his band locally and he uh, performed for a birthday in the East Anglian Railway Museum um, shunting shed at Chapel and Wakes Kong Radio. Is that a good venue? It's well, it was that was then. I mean, I you know, I've only been there for a beer festival, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> me too. Well, there were a few beers around, but not too, not festival. But it, we, we just said hello, there's something, something special here, and uh, had no idea that uh, he would be playing at um, Glastonbury and uh, returning to Glastonbury, uh, because uh, uh, he, he he topped the, his group, topped the bill in '98, returned in 2009. And, of course, 1994, was it, uh, uh, he uh, recorded Park Life, became famous. Yeah. And in 95 was the Battle of the Britpop with, um, what was the other Manchester band? Oh, can't remember oh, that. Oh, can't remember <laughs> no, 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 no. Not very important. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, Bob, it's, it's very interesting that uh, uh, hearing about all that. Now, where could I have gone? Could I? Because there, there were stores. I went in Brentwood and I used to buy my records in Woolworths. Were you able to do that here in... Colchester? Yeah, I was thinking about where you could buy records um, and later CDs, in fact. And Man's Music was the one I bought Cockney Rebels' album at. And still that, there? Still going strong, yeah. Um, there was Our Price Records, Woolworths has gone, WH Smith's was actually quite a big store for selling music, but not anymore. And two big independents were Parrot Records yeah. and Andy's Records. Uh, well, there's Andy's Records were in Chelmsford and Cambridge. I think there's still uh, a record stall on the market at Cambridge called Andy's Records, whether or not it's the original Andy, I'm not sure. That's quite possible. That's where he began with a market stall um, and moved up through the 80s and 90s until he'd got something like 40 stores, I think. It was a wonderful thing to do, I think, to stand in a record store on a Saturday morning and just flick through all the new releases and uh, just think, well, I can afford one of these 50. Which one am I going to buy? And spend as long as you could. And it was at a sort of ambience, a record store in those days, didn't it, that yeah, we, we, we don't have. It was slightly uh, hushed and reverent atmosphere. Um, and you, and you, you you had to look good. You had to look cool because it look was very good. It was a cool place to you, be. You had to it? you had to wear the style of the music yeah. you were interested in. Yeah, and it was it wasn't it was just as much about looking at the pe- other people in the shop as well as looking at the records that you were you were 
contemplating buying. Certainly, the, the staff didn't seem that bothered if you didn't buy a record. <laughs> uh, no, well, they were they were they were really were uh, the coolest of the cool, weren't they? To work in downtown records or oh, Andy's records, yeah, and they would be very very keen on the music they sold and yeah. very knowledgeable as yeah, well. Yeah. Great. Well, okay. Let's uh, let's cue up your third piece of music then, uh, Bob. What? Uh, tell us a little bit about that piece of music. Right. This is uh, "Wicked Game" by London Grammar. Um, a friend I worked with a few years ago when I was at Ferrari introduced me to the music of London Grammar. This track is a beautiful cover version of the Chris Isaac hit, and I just love the clarity of the guitar and keyboard and the pureness and power of Hannah Reed's vocals. Okay, hello there, uh, red button everybody, Bob, the guest, and I uh, hope everything is going well. Uh, I'm outside the bar, I'm outside the cafe, where the band is, uh, is supposed to be playing, I'm not able to get in, it's, uh, it's closed its doors because it's uh, absolutely jam-packed in there. Uh, by the sound of things, the band isn't playing, maybe, I think maybe it's, they've got, just got the DJ now playing in there so I think I might have missed the music uh, as I say I can't get in it's uh, it's uh, anyway I, I, I can fill you in a little bit on some information about live music here um, there is no lack of musicianship uh, amongst uh, uh, instrumentalists and singers performers in this country what is lacking is originality so they all tend to be covers bands and very, very few, if any, really, get to play their own music. And it's not because they're unoriginal, but it's because there aren't any venues that encourage local bands that play their own music. 
uh, they just don't make any any slots available for them. You have to be able to play covers and you have to be able to play them really well. Uh, I would say a typical Jogjakarta cover band, uh, more proficient, more polished than the typical Colchester covers band, dare I say it. Anyway, I plan to go to a different bar now, walk down the street uh, about 500 yards and I'm going to wait there for a friend who did attend the gig and they can tell me all about it and then I can report back to you uh, in my intrepid blow-by-blow -blow account of a night out in Jogjakarta which, to be quite honest, uh, isn't going very well but I'll get back to you a little bit later. Last stop on the round was Top of the Hill to listen to Box 39. It were like taking radio to the top of the world. And after the music and magazine show with its eclectic mix of chat, interviews, features and the funny side of life in our community, we'd put the kettle on and have doorsteps of Red Button, the perfect later evening conversation show that follows Box 39. Get it inside you lads, we'd say. Does you good, that red button. I've never heard radio like it. Box 39 and then red button. Thursday evenings from 8 to 10 on Com Radio. It's as good today as it's always been. Hello, I've been asked to read this. You're listening to Red Button on Colne. You're listening to Red Button on Colne Radio. Yes, you certainly are. This is Red Button. I'm Bill Lawrence, and I'm here with Mike Harwood and our guest for the evening, uh, Bob May. So, uh, actually, I'm just going to turn to uh, Bob and uh, ask you here about... Uh, we've been talking in the 1970s. Let's move forward a little bit. Uh, some notable acts... That you've seen while we've been here, while you've been in Colchester, so talk me through uh, a notable or some notable acts that you remember. Yeah, well, I've uh, from the eighties onwards, I've seen Elvis Costello in various incarnations yeah. at Ipswich Gomon, Norwich UEA, Cambridge Corn Exchange, and London Palladium. Uh, oh, you're a real fan then. You followed yeah, him all over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, David Bowie, I've seen uh, in London Docklands, which preceded the O2 Arena. Yeah. Uh, Milton Keynes Bowl. What, uh, what era of Bowie was that? They were, the first time was in the um, late 70s, second in the mid-80s. Right. Uh, in the 90s, I've been back to Cambridge Corn Exchange and seen Kirsty McColl, more yeah. recently Richard Hawley. Without intentionally doing this, I seem to have followed quite a lot of bands who aren't as mainstream as, yeah. as Blur and Oasis. Um, well, and, and, and a memorable gig was Ian Dury and the Blockheads in the, in the Forum in Kentish Town in 1990. So a, a wide range of venues as well. You know, uh, what are those venues do you say you don't like? Any of those venues you don't like particularly? I like them all. I don't like big venues. Right. Um, at Norwich UEA for Elvis, I was in the front row. It was yeah. all standing, yeah. but just by shuffling around, I got to the front. The corn exchanges yeah. are nice so when we talk intimate about venues. intimate venues, how many people then would be at a gig at the Corn Exchange in Cambridge, for example? I'm probably definitely under a thousand. I would yeah. suspect probably more like five hundred. And I may have been exaggerating Woods on Sundays, and maybe that's more like five hundred. Yeah. But so those listeners uh, that know the Arts Centre in Colchester, for example, which is. Maybe one of the biggest venues you can get in Colchester yeah. now. And I think that's 400, 400 if it's standing and less if it's seated, yeah. Yeah. So um, when you're talking about intimate venues, do you get right down to, uh, you know, 50 people in a pub-type venues? Do you like those? Yes, I do. Um, the Three Wise Monkeys has become a, a, a good venue for live yeah. music now. Yeah. The Bull in Crouch Street was previously pretty good and still hosts bands a lot of the nights. Unfortunately, uh, the, the Bull, I would say, is was quite unique in that it had a, a room specially built at the back, didn't it, which uh, was a lot of jazz and sort of slightly less mainstream, while the front bar was the sort of tribute or covers bands, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that band, at the, the venue at the back's not used quite so much anymore. I don't think so, no. But quite often, both venues would be going at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what makes a venue for you then, Bob? Uh, 
accessibility. Yeah. Price is important. I'm, I'm not keen to go and pay over £100 to see somebody. Yeah. Um, As a little dot down at the uh, on the stage a long way away. Yeah, I will go and watch music of almost any genre. Yeah. Um, but a, a favourite that I've seen a few times are, are local couple of lads uh well not so much lads now anton pace and paul rutherford who yeah. have been in various bands uh the fabs the judith chalmers the 45 men an 80s yeah. tribute called vogue and most recently they're called the prettiest star man with with two other great local musicians well before we come back to we're going to come back to you with some memories of of bowie but i just want to bring mike in again just uh for the for, for one last time mike you you've been a bit of a, a groupie of a couple of very well-known artists recently haven't you well the first one you saw the o2 who was that that's right as uh bob said i uh prefer small venues but there are two events that uh, were big and the O2 was uh, Leonard Cohen, his last uh, concert in England in November 2016. And apart from the um, what I see as a fantastic music and singer, he had a great sense of humour. first thing he said was, uh, before he sang, was, um, here's to all your, your people coming from all over Essex up there in the gods. You've got two things going for you. One is that it costs you less money to be up there than other seats. And the second thing is you're higher to God. And then he said, um, I've got to keep touring. I was going to retire, but because of... Um, he didn't say that, but I knew that his manager ripped him off. And he said, I've got to keep touring the world. And fantastic phrase, I've not hung up my coat yet, but I know where the hook is. And the other one was at Wembley. Um, I couldn't see myself naturally going to Wembley, but my daughter and uh, man friend persuaded me, and I'm glad they did. It was to hear Adele. Uh, in June 2017, a very moving event just after the Grenfell fire, and she was um, very spirited in her appeal for uh, donations to help the families and victims of the fire. Uh, it was just fantastic, and it converted me to big venues when uh, there was such a talent there. Okay, so uh, anyway, it's, uh, good, good to talk to you again. It's good, good. Very good, very good. But uh, it's not, it's not good, not good. It's not been a very, not good, not been a good night. It's, it's really just from the very beginning with that rain. I don't know. I, I don't really like this bar very much either. It's, it's. They got this pool table right, right smack bang in the middle, and then no customers use it. It's just used by the local hoodlums, the local gangsters. They just sort of, they just camp out on that the whole evening and there's no winner stop on or anything and they just play for free and it just is this this kind of gloomy sort of leering kind of uh, kind of presence right in the middle of the room and it, anyway sorry as you can maybe tell i've had a few i had a few to drink as, as i wait here as i wait here bravely for my friend to turn up to tell me all about this gig so that i can actually deliver what i said i would deliver for red butt tonight which is an account of of uh, uh, watching this band in, in this cafe. Anyway, another reason why I don't like this place, uh, it's, uh, it was set up by some uh, Belgian guy, because you can't, you, can't you can't buy any property. If you're a foreigner, you can't buy any property. So he bought it with, 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 under the name of, of his girlfriend, and of course then as soon as, as, soon as he'd bought it, he was ejected by her older brother's so uh, it's, it's a bit, I don't know, a dodgy, dodgy place. And the other thing I don't really like is when each time they give you a beer, and I've, I've had a few, I'm, uh, I'll admit I've had a few, each time they give you a beer, you have to pay for that beer up front. You know? So normally, you just, in Jogja, you just sit there and you just drink four beers, five beers, three beers, six beers, seven beers, two beers, any, whatever, any, 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 any number of beers. And you pay, you pay at the end, you pay, you go up, you pay, and that's it, you pay for your beers. Now, every time they give you one, one beer, two beers, three beers, each time you've got to fork out, you've got to get into your wallet, you've got to pay, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's the right way to do it. Anyway, oh, what's this? Okay, oh yeah, okay. Okay, well, my, it's, uh, it seems my friend isn't, uh, isn't going isn't gonna to show, so... Uh, uh, so anyway, there we go. Live music, live music in Jogja is very, 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 very interesting. Maybe we can, 
we can try this again. Tonight has been a disaster. I'll be the first one to admit it. It's a complete disaster. And we'll try it again sometime. And um, I'm going to. Yeah, Satu Biolagi. Tanamkasi. Yeah, Bintang. Basar, Basar. Just, uh, just ordered myself uh, one, one for the road. Okay, back to you then. Handing back to you, Bob and Mike and uh, Bryn and uh, Tim and Adrian. Oh no, <laughs> I'm Adrian. Uh, talk to you again soon. I'm sorry. Uh, this hasn't, it hasn't been exactly a roaring success. Bye bye from Jogja. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now uh, we're gonna end the show with your fourth choice of music bob and uh, i know you want to you, you you're a real fan of bowie i know that you've i've known that for a long time being friends with you so tell us about this as i'll lead into that last piece of music okay thank you i've been a david bowie fan since 1969 when he had his first hit with space oddity uh, the u.s russian space race was at its height at the time and with his ziggy stardust and aladdin sane albums he rocketed to stardom on the 3rd of July, 1973, my sister Jeannie and I saw Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars at London's Hammersmith Odeon. It was the final concert of the tour, and that night, Bowie announced that Ziggy would be no more. At first disbelieving, then aghast, the audience was stunned. How could a band disband at the pinnacle of their fame? Of course, on that evening, we had no idea of his future plans and personas, nor that they would soundtrack our lives from adolescence to old age. In common with the presenters of Losing David, a recent show on Cone Radio, I too lost touch with the man and his music after the 80s, as both his and my tastes and influences changed direction. Thankfully, we were reunited in the 21st century. But in 2016, my sorrow on hearing of David's death was as painful as when he told the young me about Ziggy's death. My last piece of music is Lazarus, David Bowie, which I found quite by chance on YouTube when looking for something else on his birthday, the day it was released. I didn't know he was seriously ill, but the lyrics and video seemed prescient, and he died just two days later. To write your own epitaph is brave. To write a song that outdoes death is brilliant. Look up here, I'm in heaven I've got scars that can't be seen I've got drama, can't be stolen Everybody knows me now Some breaking news, it's been confirmed that David Bowie, singer and musician, has died at the age of 69 this morning. We do know he had been unwell uh, for some time, but he had produced an album just recently called Black Star, uh, although it was sort of said to be fairly melancholy and just came out a, a few days ago. Uh, that news was um, originally announced on his Twitter account mm -hmm. and then uh, confirmed as well by his son on Twitter as well. Production for Cone Radio.